Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off, you know what I'm about to ask you. I need you to click the link that's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It is at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now. The Tortoise Shack has no ads, no sponsors, but relies entirely on listeners to pay it forward and keep it free for everyone. So if you get something out of what we do, please give something back. It'll only take you a couple of minutes, but it'll help carve out that bit of space we need to continue to have those conversations that we don't hear enough of across other mainstream platforms. Thanks so much for the support, the feedback, reviews, subscribing, sharing, letting people know. But I'd really urge you to click that link at the top of the pod and help keep this show on the road. Thanks again and enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of PALCAST, One Word, One Struggle, brought to you by Yusuf Jamal from Istanbul and Helena Kuban from Washington DC and Tony Groves from Dublin. Uh, today we're going to discuss the shared struggle of the Palestinian and Irish um, peoples. There are a lot of connections Palestinians today make with other uh, peoples, other struggles, uh, indigenous people uh, and otherwise that make them feel that they're not alone in this struggle, that other people have gone through um, you know, similar tragedies, unfortunately, at the hands of um, settler colonialism. Uh, we have a strong connection with Ireland. In fact, the word boycott first emerged in, in, in Ireland. Today, a lot of people are involved in the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement against Israel, which was also popular in South Africa and other parts of the world, where people use, uh, you know, civil uh, resistance uh, and disobedience to bring about political change. Uh, boycott was a captain, a landlord in Ireland, who um, wanted to evict uh, farmers from their lands, uh, asking them to be, to pay a um, huge amount of money uh, and rent, which they refused. And uh, to warn other people, they said, boycott, uh, which means beware of boycott. So the connection we have today with the boycott movement and with Ireland uh, is very strong and goes beyond boycott. In fact, um, Balfour, who is very notorious in Palestine, is equally notorious in Ireland. Um, and he has played uh, a major role in the um, Easter Rising of 1916, where dozens of people were killed in Ireland too. Um, Balfour uh, was the one who gave um, Palestine uh, to um, other people. Uh, you know, the, the saying that Palestine is a land without people, um, to a people without land, was translated into um, political action and declaration by Balfour, who was the Secretary uh, um, of Foreign Affairs of uh, the United Kingdom of the British um, Empire, uh, promising Jews a homeland in Palestine at the expense of the Palestinian people. So there are a lot of connections that we can talk uh, about today, from settler colonialism to Balfour, um, to hunger strikes. In fact, I contributed to a book on Palestinian and Irish hunger strikers that came um, out two years ago called A Shared Struggle. Um, some of the Palestinian hunger strikers who wrote their stories along with Irish hunger strikers unfortunately lost um, their lives. 
both um, during you know the um, hunger strikes they they um, started uh, and also Israel's aggressions on, on on Gaza. So we have a lot of things to talk about today, Helena and, and Tony. We absolutely do, and I'm just uh, first of all, what a brilliant opening summary it was uh, to 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 draw the, the the parallels of so many people. Um, who probably listen to my podcast might be aware of, but many won't because you know they don't know the understanding. Like when Balfour was sitting down to to draw up the the, the Balfour Declaration and drawing lines on a map to to essentially create what they you know, mandate Palestine and these areas that they were carving up, they'd, they'd already done damage in in Ireland, as we know. And in fact, actually, uh, Yusuf, it goes deeper than that. I mean, they they had their own militias. Their militias in in Ireland that were operating were the Black and Tans, and they were sent in to create, you know, chaos and and drive people off the land, and indeed burn homes, you know, and and murder and kill people. And when um and when the Black and Tans were finally disbanded, you do know where uh, where where they were sent to next to uh, carry out their havoc, do you? No, I don't. They were asked to get on the boat on the boat and head to Palestine. So um, you know we have a long history of a shared struggle, and when you put it in that context now of what we're seeing today, the second echo that we didn't mention that really worries me is the one that we have what we call on Gorta Moor, the, the Great Hunger, and how Irish people suffered the famine. At, um, that, that, that wiped out, like, I mean, Ireland has only now, in 2023, recovered its population numbers to what it was before the Great Famine. That's a staggering amount of people who lost. Other people would call that a genocide. Uh, you know, I think because we have our neighbour so close uh, in, in the UK, we have difficulty in, in how we sort of express some of these things. But nonetheless, now we see hunger being weaponized in Gaza. And it, 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 it terrifies me now because even, and I'm sure you see the scenes, Yusuf, on your screens and Helena, when you see them on your screens, journalists who we saw a month ago are looking gaunt. You know, everybody is struggling just to get enough calories just to continue doing out the work they're doing. And all of those are things, they're of, they have echoes to the Irish colonial or to how we were treated by our colonial masters in effect for for hundreds of years and and that is the reality of the situation and helena i know you're looking at me i'm not picking on you because you're english i promise no that's okay i mean i am english and i do recognize that you know the english started this whole process in ireland by establishing colonial settlements for protestants under cromwell um in order to try to control the Irish people. And um, this concept of settler colonialism was then, you know, later applied worldwide by the English, including here in Turtle Island, like now known as the United States of America, in Australia, and in Palestine, I mean, and elsewhere. I mean, they tried to do it in Kenya and Malaysia. Those colonial settlements didn't really um, survive. But we, we, the English, my English forebears actually started that whole process in Ireland. So what can I say except that I'm sorry? <laughs> and I will do, uh, no, I will no. do everything I can to try to, you know, unravel as much as possible of this colonial settlement project, certainly in um, Palestine as much as we can here in Turtle Island, the United States of America, through the land back movement, 
and definitely by celebrating Irish um, nationalism and Irish liberation. Um, Yusuf, you made one interesting point, and and Helena, there's no there's no uh, colonial guilt or shame attached to anything you do. So so don't think. But we all. But it's great that we acknowledge it as as and that is clear. But I would say, Yusuf, you mentioned apartheid um, and how um, the movement for boycotting starting or boycotting being an Irish an Irish term that was created thirty uh, seven years ago. Uh, Dunn stores, which is be like a supermarket in Dublin, uh, you know, where people get their groceries. Uh, brave women at behind the tills refused to serve apartheid goods from South Africa, and they started what became a huge movement to the point where they were invited by then um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu to South Africa, and were never actually allowed in. They were stopped at the airport and weren't allowed to the point where they were called the most dangerous shop workers in the world. <laughs> And now today, we need we need that movement as well. I totally agree with you, uh, Tony. If we look at South Africa, um, there are a lot of lessons. I mean, South Africa and the situation in South Africa is not exactly the same as what we have in, in, in Palestine. In fact, there are people who are critical of the situation in South Africa today and people who say that economic apartheid has not come to an end yet. Uh, but definitely there are lessons. And uh, that's why we see even like officials in the uh, South African government today being very vocal against Israel's uh, violations of Palestinian human rights. Uh, Nelson Mandela said, we will not be free as long as Palestine is not free or our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of, of Palestine. And, uh, you know, people who live under settler colonialism and apartheid and segregation make these connections, they can relate to each other. Um, and at the same time, people who, um, and governments um, that uh, run countries that are described as post-settler colonial um, express their sympathy with Israel today. Uh, so these are the values and what people believe is, is right and wrong brought in, in, in manifesting in different um, ways, totally different ways, where people express support for Israel, uh, I mean, mostly governments, uh, and peoples on the street, including in Ireland and South Africa, supporting Palestinians and, and their rights. Uh, it's very ironic that there was actually an Israeli soldier uh, who grew up in South Africa who came to join the war on Gaza to join other Israeli forces invading uh, Gaza. This is like the top of irony. Um, so yes, South Africa is very important and Ireland is very important. And um, I see there is more like political action on a political level uh, in both South Africa and, and, and Ireland. Um, you know, sometimes their criticism for example, by the Irish president of what's happening in Gaza and calling for a ceasefire. So the situation and like the position of Ireland is different than the rest of Europe. And South Africa also has been very vocal on, on what's happening in, in Gaza too. Um, so I think these voices are very important and um, they will um, be very um, crucial for Palestinians and uh, their support uh, across the globe when many countries chose to be silent or to side with Israel 
although the genocide taking place in Gaza is very clear and it should be condemned and the ceasefire should uh, be, be reached now. Um, also, you know, the, a lot of people make connections with uh, what's happening in Palestine and the segregation and what the uh, South African people have been subjected uh, to. I remember when I was in Gaza, I organized a um, couple of talks on, uh, you know, the role of youth in the anti-apartheid movement and the role of Palestinian youth against the um, Israel apartheid uh, in, in Palestine. And the Soweto, you know, uprising in the 70s in, in South Africa is an example where young South African, black South Africans were shot and killed by uh, white cops. Uh, so, yes, I, there are a lot of connections. But again, we have to translate, you know, th- these statements and solidarity into political action. I Can I just make a point? So two really quick points on, on first of all, on the political differences between maybe some of the Irish uh government and say other EU counterparts Um, yes we were one of the first to come out and say that we would like a ceasefire yes we were some of the first that we said you know that what was happening in Gaza was was no longer Israel's right to defend itself it it, it looked like vengeance we talked about revenge from early on when it became very clear to the world that this had gone beyond just you know what, what was happening Ireland universally has that politically across the spectrum, left or right of the spectrum, Ireland has has had that, which is a really welcome thing. But I don't know if you saw, like yesterday, our own Minister for Foreign Affairs and like the Taunishta, which is effectively our dep- our vice prime minister, our deputy prime minister, was was visiting the kibbutz where where um, where the October seventh uh, invasion happened. He met with the mayors in in Sarat. Apologies for my my bad pronunciation and he was told you know that quite aggressively that Ireland you know has been not helpful to the Israeli cause and he was told that um that that they would accept the Hamas's surrender if, if Hamas surrender and gave back all their weapons after five days and refused to you know pick up arms again and he made the point that Actually, we have our own history of conflict, and not that long ago, the Good Friday Agreement is only twenty-five years old. Twenty-five years old. It's in my living memory when the bombs were still falling, the 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 acts of terror, the the, the unnecessary loss of life. We know what was happening on our island, and indeed, what was carried out in parts of the UK. Uh, you know, in the name of Irish uh, republicanism and 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 those situations. So we know what that is like, but we also are aware. That you, the Israeli demand, as they put it to our deputy prime minister, that Hamas must just surrender and give up their weapons. That's not how peace was founded in Ireland. You had a conversation with Ireland, the UK, with the influence of the US. It has to be it has to be said to, to, as a global power, saying we want this to happen, and and concurrently with the armed struggle, the IRA went along and said. When this is all when this is all finalized, we will then put our weapons in the ground and you can pour concrete on them. But not until we know everything is kind of coming along at a level. Was it perfect? Far from it. Sometimes people say we have peace and sometimes peace is just the absence of war. <laughs> okay? Maybe we don't have proper um 
relations with some of our um, neighbours in the Loyalist Unis community. I know for my part, I, I've only recently become good friends of peoples in that community, and you know, I think it's a wonderful step that we're taking forward as as a, as a as an island, and and the, and many of them will never accept that they will stand on Irish soil, and I'm okay with that. I'm genuinely okay with that. They're my, they will always they will always have the right to feel whatever they want to feel about their identity because just as your cultural identity, um, Yusuf, as as you've said, is you're you're culturally Palestinian. You're you're proud to come from Gaza. You know you have all of these things, and no one should be able to say, well, there's no such thing as Palestine. I cannot say there's no such no, there's no such thing as a loyalist in 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 uh, Belfast. That's nonsense. It's, it's patently untrue. But it's a long journey we've been on, and what what, what I'm not I'm a big critic of my own government. As I say, I, I find them quite to the right from where I would like our government to be. But I was proud of my Tanishta to say he sat there and he said no. 30 years ago, we, we had this and we kind of knew that you don't give people five days. This takes time. And I think, Helena, you touched on this. It also needs the intervention of of a big government like the United States to actually put on its big boy pants and grow up and do and, and actually and, and, and do something that will stop this. Because we know it is possible because our, in Ireland, we're living it. You know, Tony, this is like really um, important for me to hear this from you and to hear, I'd love to have more conversations. And by the way, next Thursday, we're going to have a very important member of your parliament on, on the PALcast. So I hope that people will, will tune in then. Um, I have a couple of questions about the parallels um, to both of you. Like um, in Ireland, you started off with getting Irish um, independence just in a portion of the island. So it was, you could kind of say it was like the two-state solution. (laughs) Um, And that wasn't the end of it. That's one thing. And then the other is something that I've always noticed and admired about your national flag is that it has the orange and the green. So the orange stands for the unionists, as I understand it, for the, for the pro, um, for the pro English. The the idea was that we would have uh, the, the green, the orange and the peace in the middle and white being in, in representing peace. I will say on flags, and I mean this, uh, This I am not a big fan of, like, the we call, there's a, there's a derogatory term, we call them flag shaggers. People who think flags are really important. If we had a border pole in the morning to, to, to finally unify Ireland, and one of the requests was that the, the flag was going to be a bloody, um, a picture of some celebrity, I wouldn't really care as long as everybody just sort of accepted it and moved on. But I understand why it's nice to have that symbolism, the, the peace between the two parts. And I, I, I think that is, you know, that is something, and it is important to others, but I'm, I'm kind of a bit like uh, much more, much more prone to saying, well, the flag isn't, isn't what like, and you notice we're looking at it now. The flag's less important than the safety of our people, our friends, our colleagues, our everybody we're talking about. And then the second piece though, Helena, which you touched on that you said at the outset, it's taken us a hundred years. Like the, you got to remember the North of Ireland, Northern Ireland was set up as a statelet that would always have a unionist supremacy. supremacy. It was it was always going to be the case that we would never have the numbers or the demographics to actually change the balance of power. So it took a hundred years for them to have the numbers whereby Sinn Féin would have the more the, the, the more, more representative of the voting public 
And even still, they haven't been allowed to have a first minister because the parts of the unionist community are saying, well, we can't accept that, so we won't even go into power. So we're sitting in this stat, uh, 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 currently a, a stasis where nothing's moving because they've decided they can't have that. And one of my unionist friends pointed out quite well to me, um, Sam McElwain, he said to me, it was a huge mistake at the, at the, at the outset. They got it wrong at the outset. So if there's ever any opportunity for peace in Gaza between between Palestinians and Israelis and whatever the Palestinian state looks like, as we said, to be determined by the Palestinian people, look at some of the mistakes Ireland made. Look at some of the mistakes we've made. Our Good Friday Agreement has flaws in it. It leaves parts of communities feeling disadvantaged. Our our inability to be able to get um, the offices that they're supposed to actually give people self-determination or self-government, they have failed because you give it a... If someone has a, a a small majority, a small majority, they can they can pull the whole thing down. You know, we we have the, the, all of these little flaws that we have in Ireland. It's not perfect. That's why I said a few minutes ago. It's the app. We may we may not have peace, but we have the absence of war. But we in those in those things, we have to say, well, look, we have to fix that and make it better. But it took us a hundred years to get to the point where where we've been there. So like. You know, Yusuf wrote that book um, about the, the shared struggle, the hunger strikers, the things that that Irish people did to themselves when they had to turn their bodies into weapons. And since you wrote that book, Yusuf, Kadir Adnan has died on hunger strike. And you know, it's that's, you know, that's true. it's it staggers me that 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 wasn't for me. That was it. That 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 moment when that happened, I was upset because I'd read his words in your book. And I was upset and I could see it. And I was angry that the world wasn't angry. And now here we are. Yeah, I mean, if you compare how the world reacted to, to the death of Bobby Sands and death of Khadr Adnan, they were like totally different reactions. And uh, this is very unfortunate. Um, this, You know, what you just um, discussed about, you know, the um, details of agreements and how Palestine can learn from Ireland. This reminds me of the Oslo Accords between the PLO and Israel, where Israel dictated the terms and the details of Palestinian lives. And we've seen in Gaza today, in one day, Israel was able to shut down water services, internet services. I'm not talking about national sovereignty here, even like basic services. Um, They told Palestinians that they cannot build more than seven-story buildings. Um, that the gasoline um, uh, should have a, a specific color, a blue color. That the car plates should have a specific color. Palestinians cannot uh, write the Palestinian National Authority uh, on their papers. Not even the state of Palestine. Uh, that only the Palestinian Authority should be mentioned, which deprives Palestinians of their nationalism. Um, this is, you know, the foundation of the two-state solution that did not work in Palestine. And uh, there are more people today who are calling for one-state solution. I don't know how, but uh, for them, this will guarantee the right of Palestinian refugees to go back to their towns and villages. Uh, there are a lot of people, including my family, as I said in the previous episode, 70% of people in Gaza are refugees. They want to go back to their towns and villages. And this is the most important for Palestinians. The most important issue for Palestinians today is the return of Palestinian refugees. I know this sounds like a fantasy today, uh, keeping in mind what's happening in Gaza and the destruction. And even there are people 
discussing whether Palestinians who were displaced to the south from, from the north of Gaza and Gaza City will be able to go back again uh, to their uh, houses, mo- much of which was uh, completely leveled to the ground. Uh, but again, we have to look at the larger picture, the issue of Palestinian political prisoners. You talked about hunger strikers, the issue of Palestinian refugees and borders and Israeli settlements and wall in the West Bank. Uh, I think we should focus on having equal rights and national and sovereign rights um, on our land rather than focusing on one state or two states. Because as you have outlined, Ireland has its uh, own state today. But people in the north uh, of Ireland, in Belfast, they still feel like they're not, uh, you know, enjoying full rights or they do not have, uh, you know, full sovereignty. And, 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 and like when we talked about one world, one world, one struggle, it came from a civil rights march. It wasn't a Republican march. It was, it was, it was members of the, of the Catholic Irish community that said, we can't get jobs in certain industries and we're not allowed to live in certain areas and we're not allowed access. And, and I hate to say this, and I mean this with the greatest respect to the Jewish people, because the Jewish people have suffered so much throughout the centuries, like, like, historically they've suffered so much they understand when there's some of the myths that were built up around the jewish people are, are that you know oh well the jews are into money and you're like oh well the jews maybe only got into money because so many uh industries said you can't work in government you can't work in you know you cannot there was no positions in civil service for people for members of certain communities there was no positions in in certain areas they were they went into certain areas where they where they where they did well and and Alina, i know you're you're smiling now because we know this is what what and that became then a a, a, a way of actually framing um, the global conspiracies, because forgive me, Yusuf, but after they after they done, all these people are now supporting the Israelis now um, in their in their uh, battle for you know winning the the, the war with the Palestinians. Scratch them, and they're pretty anti-Semitic themselves for the most part. Like their 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 beliefs, their their belief structures do 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 all go back to this awful myth that um somehow there's 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 an ugliness to this. So so the Jewish people have suffered, and they understand what it's like to be um denied rights to live in certain areas. There's a small little street in Cork, Cork, one of our second cities in in, in Ireland, and it's called to this day Jewtown. And it's one of the areas that Ireland let the Jewish people down when when Jewish people needed our support. We didn't, we did not act in proper solidarity, and we have to own our history all the time. So you know we understand that, and I think we have to also be able to be brave enough to admit that while still saying that by standing with what's happening in Gaza and in Palestine, that does not make us anti-Semitic. We can, you know, you can have you can carry both thoughts in your mind, and it's not hypocritical. Sorry, Helena, I know you wanted you had a couple of questions as well. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that this thing about um, Jewish people being excluded from, you know, all, basically all the professions um, under English rule and throughout English history, the Quakers actually had very much the same. You had to be Church of England, Anglican, in order to get a job in any profession. So, you know, a lot of people from Jewish people, but also people from other, you know, non-Anglican um, Christian communities were excluded. And there are a lot of rich Quakers, let me tell you, <laughs> um, <laughs> and a lot of poor ones as well, like Jewish people, you know. But um, here in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, we had, you know, yet another of these wonderful civil society actions um, 
a huge group of people, including people from Jewish Voice for Peace and the Jewish organization, If Not Now, um, were trying to light little candles, 11,000 little candles, and put them on the, on the steps of the Democratic National Committee building. And they got very, very roughly beaten up by the police with pepper spray and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, so the Jewish, young Jewish people in this country are really many of them at the forefront of the, of the struggle for, for Palestinian rights and Palestinian justice. Um, and, and older Jewish people as well. My friend Medea Benjamin, who went to stand at the side of this big march for Israel that there was here, um, also on Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever. And uh, she had, she was just standing there with a little sign saying, another Jew for a ceasefire in Gaza. And she just stood there on her own. Admittedly, she had somebody um, filming her. And these people who were coming up for this solidarity with Israel march were just harassing her verbally and a little bit physically, but saying vile things about, I hope you get raped. I hope your mother gets raped. Like just that hate inside the Jewish mm. community. Very, very disturbing to see it. it. And it's very, it's that's incitement. It's attempt to add incitement as well. It wants people, it's trying to dra drag people, make people react and Right now, we've seen it whereby, and Yusuf, you, you, you know what it's like because you're uh, watching the media and they're trying to dehumanize the people in Palestine, human animals. Uh, they're all Hamas. Even Oxfam are now Hamas. You know, uh, the, the UN's uh, schools, they're Hamas. Everybody deserves it now. They're all Hamas. Uh, there was a, there's a T-shirt that's quite um, quite popular now in Ireland because Phil Linnett, I think, wore it. Phil Linnett, the, the fantastic mu musician, late of Tin Lizzy. And it was, uh, you know, it was it's kind of taking back that power where it was the when Irish people arrived in, in London, Often they'd go to to rent a place, and in the window we would say, "No, no blacks, no, no Irish, no dogs," and it meant you know that the blacks, the Irish, and the dogs were all considered in this kind of category of unfit to to live in this area or be part of this community. And now we're seeing that repeated again in in how it's been spoken. The Palestinian people are continuously spoken about by the Israeli government, and I I, I put it to you, Yusuf, that the best the best journalism on it is coming from within Israel. Some like people in Haaretz are saying we can't be saying this, and then you watch Western media and they're pretending that they're not. But they're not saying this. It's like you know, um, they're they're actually using the language of genocide, and people are almost being apologetic about how they cover it. I think as Palestinians, we have been very much used to dehumanization. Um, the world now realized that the dehumanization of Palestinians and using a genocidal discourse and language against them is very viral and it exists. But for us, this has been the case for many years. We've been trying to tell the world that ha this is how the Israeli government views us. And this is how, you know, the Zionist movement has viewed um, Palestinians. When I mentioned a land without people to a people without a land, it's the complete cancelling of Palestinians and their culture and their history on this land. We are very proud of our history. We're very proud of our culture. Um, we, you know, many people would be surprised to know that there was a Jewish neighborhood in Gaza, a Jewish quarter in Gaza up until 1948. Some of the, the graves belonging to the Jewish community and merchants who were in Gaza 
are still there in the Zaytun neighborhood. And I want people to remember this when they hear the name of the neighborhood that is being leveled to the ground today uh, by Israel. Uh, we are also proud of our Christian history. Um, you know, Palestine has always been a land for all religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. So we're very proud of, of this history. Yesterday, Israel targeted the minaret of the uh, Al-Umari Mosque in, in, in Gaza, which is the um, oldest, oldest um, mosque in the uh, coastal enclave dating back to the 7th century. And this very mosque used to be a church, the uh, St. Uh, John uh, Church in, in, in Gaza that was converted into a mosque after two different Christian groups had differences over running it. So each one of them built their own church and became a mosque. And if you go to the mosque, you will still see um, the uh, baptism part of it. There's a ring there I saw in myself. And um, again, it was bombed. It was bombed during the uh, First World War. And today, again, hopefully it survives this brutal Israeli uh, campaign, military campaign in Gaza, where three uh, churches, too, were destroyed um, by Israel in, in, in the coastal enclave. So I think it's important that we tell, you know, people our story. We, uh, this is how we face dehumanization and this genocidal language calling us human animals. I mean, if Israel treats us as animals, they should allow food and water into Gaza. You wouldn't keep a pet without food and water. I think they treat us worse than treating um, animals. Mm. And this is, you know, the discourse they use in the past during the Nakba of 1948 against Palestinians. Um, you know, this is the discourse that justifies all these massacres against Palestinians uh, from 1948, the Der Yassin massacre. Um, so invading forces did not see human beings in front of them, but rather animals and beasts who de- deserve to be killed. And this is what happened to to our people then where 15,000 Palestinians went um, out of 1 million were killed at the time. And now the killing continues in Gaza. Same justification, same discourse that we are human animals, that we do not deserve to live, that water and internet and fuel supplies should be cut off Gaza, that Gaza should be kept isolated from the rest of the world. The world finally realized that Israel controls Gaza, that Israel only left Gaza from inside. And all of a sudden, in one day, they cut off communication, they cut off fuel and water and internet. The world realized that Palestinians in Gaza are still using the Israeli shaken because they are under siege and occupation. And Gaza was never free. Israel just left Gaza and Gaza has been under siege for 16 years. Um, it's very sad that we see this dehumanization. Yeah, I I just want to jump in and say that a lot of these things that Yusuf has been talking about are war crimes under international law, collective punishment of whole populations, such as he has described. And then there's the question of genocide, which requires an additional intention to destroy in whole or in part members of a given group. So proving the intention of genocide under international law is often very difficult. But in this case, it's crystal clear because, as Yusuf mentioned, you have all these declarations from the, the Israeli government, um, you know, saying we're going to erase Gaza, we're going to, the, the, the people there are animals. All of this stuff is 
so now that there are a lot of um, lawsuits being brought in different countries, I know there there's a big one in this country, there's one in Belgium and in other countries around the world trying to use international law. I would say that that is good because it may reveal some facts, additional facts, although we can see the facts in front of us right now. But the for me, the priority is to end the, the, the war and to actually build Palestinian um, political rights and national liberation and get that political process started because international law can just carry on for years and years and years. We're getting near the end here now, I think. So I don't know if uh, Tony and, and uh, Yusuf want to make... Yeah, some... I, can, can I Can I have one one final thought from me? And I think it's, it was where you went with that, Helena, is very important. It's about building that political consensus along with civil society that we can, that we can have something that we know this is, you know, this... The alternative is war. So we want peace. And if we have want to have peace, we have to actually make compromises, sacrifices, and some people will have to be understand that that, you know, whatever the the the, the idea of that, you know, uh, the old phrase I think was what where they said every every um every terrorist becomes a great statesman, right? Um uh, we Yusuf mentioned uh, Mandela. Mandela Mandela was not always peaceful. And is lauded to this day as one of the greatest statesmen we've ever seen, and and deservedly so. But he was not always a, a man of peace. He knew his, his, and his initial stage, his initial big um, long imprisonment was because he was the founding head of the ANC's military wing. You know, yeah, okay, Swayze, the 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 spear. I think they were called. Yeah. It was the I I I I've probably butchered that translation, but yeah, absolutely. And and that is the and that is the that these are the facts, but. We know that. So, but I'm saying, back from an Irish prism, we have to understand that even now, our like Sinn Fein is now the largest party in the north of Ireland. They are now the most popular party in the south of Ireland. They are not in government in either. So we're still a hundred years after our 1916 revolution, and we're still not. We're still. Now, things are probably quite febrile at the moment in terms of the changes in politics, and we may actually have our first left-leaning government in a 100 years, is possible, in the next general election. But my point is, people had to understand that, well, you had to, we had to, we, the, the, the crucial to it is the change in what the US did. The US leaned in and said, we need to make sure that, um, that the UK re- respects this peace process and um, and is brave enough to understand that if the numbers and the people choose it, there will be a united Ireland. And that will be left to the people of Ireland and that will be the, the, the fact. So when I look at what's happening now in Palestine, my final thought is there's just so many bad, disparate groups of weak political leadership that need to actually um, find voices new that are undoubtedly there. There is obviously the, the, the people are there, but they need to they need to have some sort of consolidation instead of saying, "Well, I'm going to protect my little great little piece of the pie I have here, my little great piece of the pie." There has to, Helen, you touched it in the last podcast saying about the need to rejuvenate the um, the Palestinian liberation movement. You know, and this is this is the truth here because. We, whatever way we do it, it'll uh, within for the Palestinian people will have to choose the way they do it, but they'll have to do it in a way that people who right now think, well, I actually have it okay. 
well actually it's not good enough you need to actually sacrifice and um, be brave be the be the, the brave so brave guys like Martin McGuinness who was an IRA commander be a brave guy like Martin McGuinness who was an IRA commander and step forward and say no we're now putting down the gun and we're going to choose the way of peace and, and we're going to pursue it despite what you know what come what may we will fight because it, it won't be easy it's taken us 20, 25 years since the Good Friday Agreement. It's still not perfect, but it is it is a start. And we need we need people like that to, to come to the fore. Apologies, Yusuf. Go ahead. Thank you, Tony. I would like just to um, conclude on a note on terrorism and the emergence of modern terrorism. Uh, one of the most known cases in uh, terrorism studies of a female terrorist, indeed, was in... Um, Russia in St. Petersburg in 1878, uh, where an anarchist called Vera Zaslovich uh, was arrested after she tried to kill the um, uh, head of the police department in uh, St. Petersburg, and she injured him. And she, when she was uh, brought to court by the police, uh, she said, I am uh, not a murderer, I am a terrorist. So at the time, the concept of terrorism was somehow positive and it has changed over time. And we all know that um, there's this saying that one's terrorist is another's freedom fighter. And Nelson Mandela himself was still considered and listed as a terrorist in the U.S. up until 1998. Uh, so this is just, uh, you know, every country expresses its interests by listing a group as terrorists or not. Um, many convicted terrorists, as you said, became um, state people. And later they won the um, Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, so this is a, a discussion I think is interesting to, to highlight, um, especially today when we talk about Palestine. I'll we'll be talking more about this issue in the next um, episode. Uh, we will be discussing the uh, approach, the words approach towards uh, Palestinians and listing Palestinian groups as terrorists. And today's discussion on, on, on Hamas in particular will be highlighted. Yeah, well, thank you, Yusuf. You have, uh, everybody's been listening to the PowerCast, a podcast on the intersection of Palestinian politics and world affairs with our wonderful host, Dr. Yusuf Al-Jamal. Today, we also had um, great in interventions from Tony Groves of Tortoise Shack Media. Tortoise Shack Media and Just World Educational are the um, two organizations that collaborate to produce the PALCAST. I'm Helena Cobb and I'm the um, president of Just World Educational. And I really want to thank um, Tortoise Shack Media for working with us on this. Um, since we are new and the times are dire, we urge everyone to follow the PalCast on Apple or Spotify so you can catch each new episode as soon as it drops. Please start posting great reviews for us on those platforms. Tell all your friends and networks about the PalCast so they can start listening too. Um, we have a couple of great episodes lined up for next week as uh, Yusuf um Indicated, we're going to talk about Hamas and uh, its political past and its political future. We're also going to have a wonderful um, Irish member of parliament um, whose name escapes me right now, but 
he is a, a great Palestinian rights activist. It's, we, I think we, I think, I think, I think we we'll leave. I think we we'll leave, we'll leave his name out of it for this stage. Anyway, we'll special guest. We'll say special guest. Okay, thank you, Tony. So, um, on behalf of Just World Educational, I want to thank um, Palcast's great host, Dr. Yusuf Jamal, who is with us from Sakarya, Turkey. Also, Tony Groves of Tortoise Shack Media. We urgently call for a complete ceasefire in Gaza and for the speedy march of Palestinians to liberation and to building a secure and hopeful future for their people. I'm Helena Carbon. Stay alert for our next timely episode coming within a few days. <laughs>